Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Rabia Chaudhry is the author of Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, a memoir of food, fat, and family. Rabia is an attorney, advocate, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Adnan's Story, and executive producer of the HBO documentary series, The Case Against Adnan Syed. Rabia is also co-producer and co-host of the podcast Undisclosed, The 45th, Nighty Night, and The Hidden Gin. With over 400 million downloads, that's insanely amazing and makes me feel like a complete failure. But anyway, with over 400 million downloads, Undisclosed is the most popular wrongful conviction podcast in the world. The Undisclosed team has helped exonerate a dozen defendants and find new evidence to get nearly all their defendants 
back in court. Rabia is a 2021 Aspen Institute ADL Civil Society Fellow and was a 2016 Aspen Ideas Scholar and on the Vanguard Board at the Aspen Institute. She's a fellow of the Truman National Security Project, a fellow of the American Muslim Civic Leadership Institute, a fellow of the Shalom Hartman Institute, and a former board member of the ACLU of Connecticut and Maryland. She's the recipient of the Truman National Security Project's 2015 Harry S. Truman Award for Communications and Media Influence and is a 2015 Carnegie Corporation Great Immigrant and the recipient of the 2015 Healing and Hope Award by the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth. She is currently a founding board member of the Inter-Jewish Muslim Alliance and the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, both of which focus on building Muslim-Jewish coalitions around pressing policy issues and educating across communities to break boundaries. Rabia received her Juris Doctorate from the George Mason School of Law and practiced immigration and civil rights law for over a decade before moving into the CVE policy sphere. Her practice focus was asylum and family immigration and civil rights defense of Muslim immigrants against federal law enforcement agencies. Her second book, Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, is out now. Rabia is a frequent public speaker and writer on criminal justice, civil rights, and media advocacy. Welcome, Rabia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, a memoir of food, fat, and family. Thanks for having me. I love the name of your show. (laughs) I love the name of your book. (laughs) So there you go. Can you tell listeners what your book is about and why you decided to write it? I mean, as the, as the subtitle tells you, it's a memoir about food, fat, and family. And when um, I, after publishing my first book, I was immediately asked by my publisher and literary agent, what are you going to write next? And I started thinking about it. I had never considered writing a memoir because frankly, I always feel like you have to do something extraordinary in your life to do that. But I was encouraged to consider it. And when I did, I thought, well, you know, a lot of my work is public facing my the work I do in advocacy, criminal justice and other issues. You know, I do a lot of writing and public speaking about it. So I I've told those stories a lot of times. And I decided the story that I really have never told anybody um, publicly is this story, which if there is one theme in my life, it is this theme of like uh, body image issues and weight struggles, which I've had since childhood. And so that's uh, and Fatty Fatty Boom Boom is one of my nicknames when I was a kid. So, uh, and, and so that's how I decided that, that, you know, this, and I also figured that this is the kind of story that would resonate with a lot of people. Certainly resonated with me. <laughs> you talked about how, when your family came to America, you were fed literally sticks of frozen butter to s- soften, to deal with your gums hurting. And they would like, you would chew on the butter. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think my mom would contest the word fed. <laughs> Okay. Uh, she was like, you know, what, what, what is going to cool her gums, be nice and, um, but also something she won't choke on and something she can hold mm-hmm. and a frozen stick of butter. I, I don't really know where she ever got the idea because when I asked her about it all these years later, uh, she's like, I, I don't, I don't remember, but it just made sense. And I loved it obviously. And I have always loved butter. I think ever since. <laughs> butter is great. Butter makes yeah. everything better. It does. They say. And so that was your first experience of gaining more weight or and having your family when you would go back to visit not be as excited that you had, you know, they were like, what did you do to my grandchild and all of that, yeah. which could not have felt good, even though you're very young. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I, you know, I don't have a recollection of that happening, um, but it's a story that I have been told a million times growing up that, you know, when we met back at this time, I, I just remember feeling adored, right? Like I was like this chunky little doll that was being passed around to all my relatives and they adored on me. And, but my grandfather, I guess, could kind of see that this is, this is not good. This is not mm-hmm. going in the right direction. My, my grandfather was always super fit, super healthy. He died in his late nineties. And uh, even though he'd gone blind, I mean, a decade earlier, he still went for a walk every day and took a cold shower every morning. Just a real, you know, healthy guy. Well, you talk about how you were in grade school and how you started hiding food, which by the way, I did too. I would like put Hershey Kisses under my bed, but we don't have to talk about that. (laughs) Did you really? Um, Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because I had like my allowance and they had the store next to my grade school. And so I could go in and I would either get a bag of Hershey Kisses because that was like $1.25 or I could do a 50 cent yodels because they often had a third yodel. Or sometimes devil <laughs> devil dogs were only twenty five cents, so I could get a couple. But anyway, yeah. um, this is really dating me. Those might might not be right, but that's how I remember it in my head. But anyway, mm-hmm. you said these were the years I learned to eat in secret, to hide my insatiable hunger, to wrap food in napkins and press it between the pages of my books, to inhale entire mouthfuls without chewing when someone suddenly entered the room. And these were also the years I realized I may have been a bit chubby because it seemed everyone had begun commenting about my weight and noticing what I ate and how much I ate. I understood that if I was going to eat the things I loved and the amounts that satiated me, I had damn better hide it. Yeah. You know, I writing this book for me was like connecting a lot of dots. And uh, for the most part, I haven't spent much of my life eating in secret, but there have been definitely moments in my life. And that I, I think that's really where it began uh, at that point. And then later when I was in my first marriage and it was a deeply abusive marriage, I also started eating in secret. And, you know, my mom's always done that. She's, she'll never eat with us. And so it, it was this interesting, like, you know, we pick up these, you know, people around us model behavior and then kids pick it up. But yeah, I just, and I would compare myself to my younger sister who was only two years younger than me. And I would watch how she ate and I would be like, how is she full? Like just eating like that banana <laughs> and a glass of milk for a snack. Um, and I just didn't understand what was wrong with me. Yeah. I never felt full. Do you feel full now? I do, but it took a surgical procedure to get me there. Yeah. And you feel literally a physical difference, like you. Fullness. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, people ask me whether I regret getting gastric sleeve surgery because, frankly, gastric sleeve surgery was not a magic bullet to, to get to goal weight or any, like, you know, I it really doesn't. You have to still be on a very strict protocol, you know, for that procedure to be effective. And I just didn't follow it. And most of the people I know who got the sleeve have gained back almost all the weight. But I don't regret it because it does it does give me the feeling of knowing what it's like to feel full. And I, most of my adult life, didn't know what that felt like. It's not the best feeling. Actually, to me, it feels like a gift. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because it's finally a signal from my body that you can stop eating. And I never was able to do that. I would eat until the food in front of me is gone. If there's leftovers in the plate next to me from somebody else, I would eat those too. And, I, and uh, that felt terrible because I was like, I felt like something that's not normative. <laughs> that's not how other people's bodies function. So what was wrong with mine that it didn't send that signal? Interesting. So I feel very grateful for feeling full and satisfied. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. You know, oh, I can get up from this it. table. Yeah. Maybe I just mean like overly full, which... Oh, stuffed and stuffed, sick to my yeah, stomach. Stuffed. No, yeah. I don't want to do feel that obviously, but it, it, this is a, a different sensation. This is just like, okay. Satisfied. You know, I feel satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Yeah, you did not write in such a positive way about the sleeve situation. I feel like for anyone considering it, if they read your book, they wouldn't necessarily run and get that operation. Hey, look, I wanted to be real about it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I also wanted to be really honest about why I got it. And uh, and I think I made the right decision based on my calculations, based on my lived experience, based on what science and research shows us about people who struggle with weight and how the odds are stacked against you for so many reasons. And, and there's a reason every time. And it's not like we don't know how to lose weight. You do over and over again in your life and you gain and it comes back you know, with friends, like I said, over and over. So it just made sense to me in many ways. And I also thought that, you know, I don't know, I don't know my physiology. Maybe my stomach is this big gaping black hole with a reason <laughs> I never get full. So this might be the way, but yeah, I, I wanted to be honest about what that first six months, especially was like, it was very, very hard. And I was at a book event and I was talking about this and a woman raised her hand and said, I just want you to know I'm getting gastric sleeve surgery next week. And I was like, oh no, listen, <laughs> I don't mean to put you, but, but the truth is they will prepare you for all that. When you are uh, go, being going through the evaluation and kind of the whole program to prepare you, they will explain that this is all going to happen to you and you have to be mentally, emotionally prepared for it. Hmm. Well, it's good to have the real story, you know, yeah. super useful. You wrote really beautifully about your marriage ending. If I could just read this one other paragraph, is that sure. okay? You said six months later, I was no longer with my husband. A marriage doesn't break in an instant. It takes hundreds of instances of words said and unsaid, of grief and resentment, disappointment and heartache. Our marriage didn't even have a chance to build, much less break. When AK hit me just weeks after I left my family's home to join him, he shattered any foundation our relationship could have had. You cannot build on rubble. But for five years, for the sake of our daughter, I had tried. Ultimately, I wasn't even the one who ended it. AK did. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, like anybody who's been through a divorce understands that or the end of any relationship understands that it's, it takes just lots of a thousand cuts, right? Death by a million cuts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm divorced also. So okay. anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And I used to be a Weight Watchers leader and I know you went to Weight Watchers for a while. Were you really? <laughs> I, I really was. I know. Can you believe it? I, uh, as I said, I've like struggled with my weight forever and it finally worked for me. Like when I tried it, it was like the only thing that had ever worked. And when I get really excited about something, I'm kind of like all in. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to be at goal weight. Oh, if you've been at goal weight for long enough, you can be a receptionist. And I was like, well, I'll just have to try that. And then you can be a leader. And I don't know. I just oh, kept wow. like, I like having goals. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years. See, I, I never even gave it a chance, as you found out in the book. I, I, I read I, that. Yeah. <laughs> At 15, I was like, no, I do not belong here. No. And I just refused. It just seemed like way too much work. And I was like, there's no way. Even at that very tender age, I was like, I know I can't live like this where I got to like figure out no. the point for every single thing. I it just, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. You just like took the money and went to the mall, right? <laughs> Didn't you do something like that? <laughs> I took the money and I went to the convenience store to get junk food. I mean, like, yeah. but you know, my poor parents were like, this doesn't seem to be working yeah. months later. And yeah. you're like, no, I feel great. And they're like, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. <laughs> Can I ask you a question about your um, experience sure. though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, is that when you said it worked? I mean, to me, it's like a lot of diets. It works while you, every diet works when you're doing it, but the minute you stop doing it, the, the point is, is it sustainable for your life? I guess, because yeah. diets aren't. Yeah. I was able to do this through a couple pregnant, through pregnancy. I did it for seven years. Wow. And it consumed me. I feel like it actually mm. became like an eating disorder. Like all I would do was think about the points. Oh, so I, I feel like I got too obsessed about mm. the perfection of it. But I, mm. what I liked about it is that it took all the emotion out of food. Right. Like it was like, oh, should I have this cake or should I not? Well, whatever, it's seven points. Do you have seven points to spare or not? So mm. I kind of liked that it talked to me that way because- Anyway, this is, I don't know why I'm talking about myself, but yeah, no, I feel no, like no, no. This it's, is, it's this more is like em, to me. Yeah. emotional, like my issue is more emotional eating. Mm-hmm. Like I get upset and then I eat for two weeks and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about the food. Like I feel full and I just ignore it, you know, yeah, but because yeah, it's, yeah. it's feeding something else in me. So 100%. Weight Watchers for me yeah. just like took that whole piece of my brain and just like, you know, dropped it off on the side. But, yeah. but then I got like too into it and I got like really thin and it was- oh boy. I mean, for me, not for most people. I also feel like I weigh more. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be too thin for anyone else. It's like, all it complicated. Just- yeah, you're right. You probably, well, although with my mother, you know, when I got to a certain point and I, and I felt, and I wasn't too thin. I weighed like around 165 pounds, but I was super fit because I was uh, strength training. And this is literally just like four or five years ago. My mother was like, that's it you were getting too skinny and you, I think you have cancer. Like, do you have cancer? Are you lying to me? So sometimes, uh, at least with my family, there is a, this, a thing such as too thin. I have to be just right. My mom said to me, used to say to me, and she, I mean, she still does it. Listen, 
as a lawyer, you have to have a little meat on your bones. If you're too tiny, then you won't have the gravitas. Mm. You won't have like the presence, you know, as an attorney, I'm like, holy moly, just give me the weight range that works for you, mom. (laughs) Oh, pleasing my mom could be like five podcasts in a row. No, I'm kidding. She's probably listening. But um, yeah, there's no, there's no, it's also different, different generations, I feel like, have such different takes on your definitely, body and your eating definitely. and yeah. um, hard to reconcile. Different cultures. Right. Yep. Yep. So it's like an unwinnable situation in a way. Yeah. But unless you just do whatever you need to do and make yourself happy. That's what yes. I learned. That's all that matters to me now. Yeah. But also I want to be healthy too, you know? Yeah. And a lot of like all the science is like, no, if you, like I want to live long, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. But then on the other hand, when you have a little extra weight, then like your cheeks look better, you know, your face looks better. So I'm like, well, look, I, I'm, you know, almost, I'll be 49 in a few months. And uh, folks, a lot of people think that I'm younger and they're like, you know, how come, what's the skincare? I'm like, it's, I think it's just the cheeks. Yeah. I think it's, I just have a little (laughs) extra fat. Really? I mean, you know, it's not a skincare routine. It's just having, you know, a little extra chub, uh, I think it keeps you looking a little young, but um, yeah, healthy is important. And, and, but that is part of being happy for me now is just moving and putting things in my body that don't make me feel terrible. Yeah. So how did writing the book affect your relationship with food? Like, did it, did it, did the analysis of it change anything or was it just, it was already in your head and you just dumped it out. So it didn't really change anything anyway. The thing is, I could not have written the book until I had gotten to the point where my relationship with my body and food had already changed, stabilized, gotten better. I'm not saying I was at the point or I've ever been at the point where I'm like, I love my body, but I finally was at the point where I didn't hate my body. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of work. Um, And it took a lot of, I mean, I'm sure just living to a certain age makes a difference when you're over 40, 45, there is something to be said about just not caring anymore about a lot of things, what people say, things like that. So I couldn't have written until then. But what writing the book helped me do was just understand myself better and understand why I was doing, why I was where I was at different points in my life. It helped me understand people in my life, my family better as I wrote about them and tried like with my mother eating in secret, she's in her seventies. She still won't eat with us, but if you leave food out in the morning, it'll be gone, right? She'll eat it at night, like literally at 3 a.m. And we used to think, oh, she's just so antisocial. She doesn't want to like sit and have a meal with us. And we would we would take it personally, me and my siblings, like we, had some, we would resent her for it. And I realized I ate in secret when I had shame around it. So there is something, there's a story about her we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not about us. This is about something else. So that, for, for that reason, um, I got to say, like, it's, it was a learning experience for me, right? You know, at the end of the book and I closed, I remember when I finished the, and my eldest is 25. So there have been plenty of times that as I was writing the book and I was saying, you know, my, my family did this or my mother did or whatever. I was like, oh, wait, I think I've done that too. My daughter. (laughs) Yeah. So by the time I got done, I decided I'm never having, I'm never bringing these issues up again with her. You know, she has, everybody has to have their own journey. It just no matter how right you play it with your own kids. So I feel I have four kids. It's like Mm. the messages they get from their peers are so much more important. I'm like, wait, what did I do wrong that you feel like that? She's like, this Mm. has nothing to do with you. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) sometimes it doesn't come from the home. It's like, yeah, no, that's for sure. I know, I know that's true. And and I have a 14 year old as well. And she, there was a number of years where, um, and this is when she was around 11, 12 years old. She, and she's very like kind of slender, um, build naturally, but she, she 
kind of stopped eating. Like we would watch her, me and my husband, and we'd say, what are you, what are you doing? It, she would have like little smidges of food on her plate and say, I'm not hungry. And we realized she was like, it was social media. It was friends. It was other people mm-hmm. who were like, you know, we want to be super thin. And this was around the time that I, dis- that I discovered strength training and began mm-hmm. strength training. Yep. And as she watched me do this, and not only did it change my body, my emotional state, my mental health, everything. And I felt incredible in my forties, feeling so strong, doing things I never thought my body could do. She was like, mama, I want to go to the gym with you. And so as soon as she got old enough, I started taking her. And when she started lifting weights, she started eating. She started eating. I mean, really eating. And you know, now she runs cross country and she eats like an athlete, which is good, good food, but a lot of food, you know, a lot of calories. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Like that, that I didn't even have to tell her. She just saw this happen. And she, you know, I modeled it for her. Wow. So do you have memoirs by other authors that you love or that you hope to make your book like, or that, you know? Well, I mean, I read, I read a number of memoirs, uh, food memoirs and, uh, and, a, and one, like a, a couple of weight related memoirs before I started writing this. And I realized none of these, I mean, there, obviously there are, are times when certain stories you're like, you're like, okay, I get that. But none of them resonated with me in terms of like, oh, this is just like how I felt at the time. Like um, Roxanne Gay's hunger. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that's a, a really deeply, her yep. experience was incredibly traumatic and mm-hmm. uh, as a child. And I didn't have that, frankly. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, my parents, but, my, but for me, like the story that resonated for me was my big fat Greek wedding. When I watched mm-hmm. that film, I'm yeah. like, oh, that, that's my family. You know, they're loving but they just are going about their concern the wrong way. Um, but I love memoirs. I just started reading this one last night. Oh my gosh, my favorite book. It's literally my favorite book of the whole year, A Place Called Home, David Ambrose. I, well, I, I won't like, take that personally, but... <laughs> I'm sorry. I loved your book too, but this book Here's is like, you know... David I and I shared a panel in Boston. And then, uh, you know, he signed a book for me. I signed a book for him. And then we've just become friends since... And my book tour just ended two days ago, so I didn't have time to start reading it. And last night, like at 1 a.m., I cracked it and I couldn't put it down. That's how I felt. a beautiful writer, but his story is just heartbreaking, shattering. And um, I'm going to get through it probably pretty quickly, and then I'm going to reach out to him. I I don't even know if I'm going to have the words to uh, process the emotions and convey how incredibly... Uh, and he's an incredible human being. I mean, mm-hmm. He's so accomplished and um, so kind and positive. Anyway. No, I'm so <laughs> yeah. glad you said that because I read it over Thanksgiving and I haven't like talked to anybody who's been reading it yet, you know, mm-hmm. like just on Instagram. So anyway. And he's a beautiful um, writer. The writing he is, is incredible. I know. Yeah. I yeah. know. I read it in one day. I just like, mm. my family was like, hello, you want to <clears throat> hang out with us? And I was like, no, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really great. Um, no, I mean, I loved your book too. It's, I promise. Thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be on this podcast, and I wouldn't have I read the whole you. thing, which I, I did. So, um, do you have any advice for aspiring memoirists? You know, most people. I know a lot of people who want to write memoirs, and for almost every single one, the thing that stops them is they have family who are living that they wouldn't want, you know, them to read it. That's true for me as well, but on. I'm lucky. Number one, most of my family doesn't read. They really just don't read. They're not readers. I I am the only real reader in my family. And uh, my dad would have read it, but he had a stroke, really severe stroke, and he's not capable of reading anymore. So, so that helps me. But also, you know, I could have been much more... I was kind to a lot of people in the book. I mean, you know, because I wanted to talk about 
our relationship when it came to this specific issue, not about them as whole human beings, right? I'm not there to expose their lives and their, you know what I mean? All these things. And so I think there's a way to do, to to do this right. Like you shouldn't have to wait for everybody, you know, to die off (laughs) to write a memoir. And the other people, the other thing that people usually have a concern about is like, to like verifying the facts. Right. But it's kind of like what you said that Earlier, I don't remember what, you, what memory you're talking about. You're like, that's how I remember. Oh, the the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. food. What matters is how we remember it, right? I mean, like, there there are stories in the book in which there are lots of other family members there, but I'm not going to check in with them. And say, how do you remember? It? How do you? Because what matters is how I remember it, and that's mm-hmm. my story. And so, don't let those things hold you back from from just sitting down and starting and putting pen to paper. And it's just powerful for you to kind of learn your who you are. I mean, I feel like I solved a little mystery of myself by the time I was done writing the book. That's great. That's the best line. Because, I mean, it's like the greatest feeling yeah. to sort through stuff. And yeah. anyway, that's wonderful. I wrote a memoir too, actually. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, but I put that in the beginning. I was like, I don't know. This probably, I, this is just how I remember it. But, you know, I don't know yeah. what I did yesterday. So, um, <laughs> right. Like, I, I, I hope that's this all that is matters. That's your approximation of the truth. You know, right. no, I'm, I'm, not, it's not that far off, but who knows? I mean, I feel very confident that I remember it the way it happened, but maybe right. I'm wrong. But, um, Anyway. Okay. Well, congratulations on Fatty Fatty Boom Boom. And I love chatting with you about food and family and all the good stuff. And I feel like I could have this conversation for a million years. So I couldn't wait to talk to you about it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zibby. Thank you. And I know we've had some scheduling difficulties. So I appreciate your patience with all No that. worries. This worked out even better for me too. So okay, all good. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks nice a lot. Nice to meet you. Nice Bye-bye. to meet you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.